So in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, after Eustace Scrub, that's a great name, isn't it? Eustace Scrub is overcome with greed and all of these evil desires, and so he turns into this dragon. Later, the lion, Aslan, who represents Jesus, rips off the dragon's skin, and Eustace is turned back into a boy, and he compares that to the childhood joy of picking away a scab. He says, it hurts like Billy, oh, but it is such fun to see it coming away. So after turning back into a boy, Eustace tells his cousin Edmund what happened when he met Aslan the lion who removed his dragon scales and turned him back into a boy. Here's what he said. He's telling Edmund this. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying there beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. So I started to go into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down into the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, Oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away for the third time and got off a third skin, just like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. Then the lion, Aslan, said, but I don't know if he spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy. Oh, but it is such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was lying in the grass only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It hurt like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. You'd think me simply phony if I told you how I felt about my own arms. I know they've no muscle and are pretty dull compared with Caspian's, but I was so glad to see them. That's a picture, a beautiful picture, of what it's like when we are united to Christ by faith. 
We become who we were made to be, new creatures who were made to glorify and enjoy God. But we often forget who we are in Christ. We forget the joy of having those dragon scales removed. And that's why there's no more secure and joyous identity than being in Christ. We just need help remembering. That's something that Paul Tripp said. He said there's no more secure and joyous identity than being in Christ. We just need help remembering. So today, humbly admit that you're an amnesiac. God is near and active. He won't stop working until the job is done. We forget who we are in Christ. We are amnesiacs. And that's why Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian church. So turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, Paul is writing to remind them of who they are in Christ. Why? Because disciples forget who we are. We, like Eustace Scrub, give in to the evil desires that are inside of us, and we sort of look like, we sort of become dragons, we sort of become these scaly creatures, and all these things come out of our hearts. We get angry, and slander, and covet, and lie, and let obscene language fly from our lips like fire from a dragon. And all that happens... Because we forget who we are in Christ. And that's when Jesus comes again in mercy to peel away the junk and help us put off all of our old ways. Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 10 and hear the word of the Lord. And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we saw last week in verse 9 that Paul said that the Colossians had put off the old self, the old man that was united to Adam. Every single human being born in this world is united to Adam, united to his sin, united to his rebellion. And so Paul is saying, you have put off the old man, and this happened at the cross when they were cut off from Adam, through the circumcision of Christ on the cross. So since they have been legally separated and legally cut off from Adam, they have now put on the new self. In Greek, it's literally the old man you have put off and the new man you have put on. That's how the Net Bible, the New English Translation, translates it. Since you have put off the old man with its practices and have been clothed with the new man. They put off the old man, and they put on and were clothed with the new man, Jesus. Once they were united to Adam, now they're united to Christ. And this new self, this new man, Paul says, is being renewed after the image of Jesus. We are being made more and more and more like Jesus. Now, yes, it is a very slow process process. It is a very painful process, like what Eustace Scrub experienced when the dragon scales were being ripped away from him. And it may not seem like it is actually happening, but we are being renewed. In fact, the phrase, which is being renewed in verse 10, is a present tense verb. So it is happening. Whether we see it, 
Whether we feel it, whether we believe it, the Holy Spirit is renewing each one of us more and more and more after the image of Jesus. God is at work in every single one of our lives. He who began a good work in the Colossians, just like the Philippians, he will be faithful to complete it on the day of Jesus. Listen, gospel renewing is happening in the life of every single disciple. As Scotty Smith said, being in Christ and not changing is like being in the ocean and not getting wet. Ain't gonna happen. Now, there may be spurts, there may be stumbles along the way, there may be dark days, there may be days where our heart is drifting from the Lord, but renewal is happening. And it's better observed with a long-term aerial view, not a microscopic view. It's better pulling back and looking at your life and how you've been renewed and transformed and changed over years and decades rather than microscopically bringing it down to days and weeks and months. So Paul mentions this kind of renewal in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, where he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is, being wasting, is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. But how? How are we renewed? Well, the answer that Paul gives in verse 10 is in knowledge. We are renewed through knowledge of God, who he is, what he is like, his attributes. We are renewed through knowledge of his word, through knowledge of his gospel. And this is why we must read our Bibles or hear it audio. We must study our Bibles. We must hear the word of God preached so that we can know God. Because when you know God, your mind gets renewed. When you know God and you know his word and you know his promises and you know his gospel, the dragon scales get stripped away like used to scrub. When you remember God's attributes, what he is like, it renews your mind and you are renewed after his image. And it's this renewing, this being conformed to the image of Jesus, our creator. It's this knowing, this renewing through his word that actually keeps us from going crazy. Listen, anytime your life is a mess, Anytime your life is a wreck and you feel like you cannot go on, you absolutely must read God's word. Whatever's happening in your heart, whatever's happening in your family, you absolutely, when you have the darkest of days, you absolutely must read God's word or have someone else read it to you. Because sometimes you can be so downtrodden and so full of despair and so heartbroken that you can't even pick up the Bible in order to read it. And that's when you may have to call on a friend and just tell them, will you read me some of God's word? Please tell me about Jesus again. I need to be reminded. I need to know once again what he is like. And so understand this, a renewed mind equals gospel sanity. If you want to keep going from going crazy, if you want to keep from losing your mind, pulling your hair out, 
then you have to have your mind renewed with the gospel. A renewed mind equals gospel sanity. You have to rub God's word. You have to rub God's promises. You have to rub the gospel into your pores to keep from going crazy. So putting on the new man is not something that we first do. Rather, it's something that we know. And not just something we know, it's someone we know, namely Jesus. Michael Reeves says Christianity is not primarily about lifestyle change. It is about knowing God. To know and enjoy him is what we are saved for. We were saved to know and enjoy Jesus. Sadly, many Christians think that Christianity is all about moral change. Getting better, doing more, trying harder, running faster. Yes, that happens. As Paul said, we are being renewed. But that's not primarily what Christianity is all about. It's primarily about knowing and enjoying God. Because that's what we'll do for eternity. And that's what Adam and Eve did before they sinned. They knew God. They enjoyed God. And so the Christian life is all about knowing and enjoying God. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds, Paul says in Romans 12. We're not transformed by doing more and trying harder. We experience renewal, transformation as we know God. As we set our minds on things above, as we seek the things above, that's how we change. That's how renewal comes. And think about this. Our minds being renewed are actually many pictures of God renewing the cosmos. As we are renewed after the image of our creator, and as we are made more and more like Jesus, that's a mini picture. It's a coming attractions, if you will, of God renewing the entire universe when Jesus returns. Every time we renew our minds, it's like, here's the coming attractions. God's going to renew the entire universe and make it all new. And part of the renewal that Paul has in mind here is recapturing a sense of God's love and affection for people like us who are in Christ. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say this renewal is, a, is us recapturing and really believing God's affection for us and God's love for us? I say that because of how Adam and Eve reacted after they sinned against their creator. They hid from God. They ran from him. God asked them, where are you? Now, of course, God knew where they were, but the question revealed that they were running from God, hiding from God because of their sin. And then what does God do when he shows up? He gives them a gospel promise that one of their descendants, Jesus, would come and crush that talking snake that deceived them. And then God killed an animal and blood was shed to cover their sins and God gave them the animal skins to cover their nakedness. All of this was a picture of the gospel. So what God did for Adam and Eve is begin the process of renewing them according to the image of their creator, which is what Paul says in verse 10. That's why I think Paul has in mind renewing or recapturing a sense of the love of God for us in Christ. Because Adam and Eve needed to be renewed in their sense of God's love for them because they sinned and they were hiding from God 
the creator. And what do we do when we sin? We run from God, don't we? We hide from God. Right? Like maybe if I stay away for a little while, he'll cool down and then I can come and talk to him again. Don't want to do it right after you blow it big time. You've got to wait a while, right? We were just like Adam and Eve. We hide. The difference now for us is this. When we hide from God, when we run from God because of our sin, and God calls out, where are you? How do we answer? I love what Michael Horton said. When God calls Adam, where are you? The Spirit leads us to answer, in Christ. We are in Christ now. Even when we sin big time and then hide from God, if he were to ask us, where are you? Our response, no matter how big, no matter how bad our sin, our response to the question, where are you, is always in Christ. That's where I am. I'm in Christ. Even when we sin and hide, our status does not change. We are always in Christ. This is our permanent address. We're never going to have to move. This is where we live. This is our home. That means that nothing we said or did this week has shocked our Father in heaven. We are not put in a timeout for our behavior. We are not put on probation. We are in Christ. Even if we did a bunch of these sins that Paul lists in verses 5 through 9 that we looked at last week, we are still in Christ. Why? Because you cannot sin your way out of being in Christ. So part of the renewal that Paul has in mind here is remembering who we are in Christ, remembering that we are loved in Christ, and that we sit and that we remain in his favor always. Understand this. The gospel isn't merely the removal of all condemnation. It is also the fullness of God's delight, which is lavished on us in Christ. It includes his perpetual favor and unabated delight for us in Christ, even when we sin. Listen, Christian, you live in and you abide under God's perpetual favor and unabated delight for you in Christ. It is not a, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That doesn't exist with God. Every petal is, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. I can't believe it, but he still loves me, he still loves me, he still loves me. That is the most real thing about you, is that you sit and you abide forever under the favor of God. Now let me say that again, because some of you think the most real thing about you is something else, like your sin, or where you have placed your identity. And I'm here to correct that for you. My job every week is to remind you of who you are in Christ. So let me say it again. Christian, you live in and you abide under God's perpetual favor and unabated delight for you in Christ. And that is the most real thing about you. God loves you for who you are in Christ and not according to what you do. To quote Scotty Smith again, he said, we are not loved to the degree that we are like Christ. We are loved to the degree that we are in Christ, which is 100%. God doesn't love us because we are good, because we come to church on Sunday. The rest of the heathens do other things, right? 
God doesn't love us because we're holy and godly and we do all the right things that we're supposed to do. He loves us because we are in his son. He doesn't love us to the degree that we are like Jesus, but to the degree that we are in him. And that inness is 100%. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love you to the, to the degree that you are like Christ? Because this past week, I guarantee you did some things that were not like Christ. But do we change, Pastor? Yes. Are we transformed? Yes. Do we, do we become more like Jesus? Yes. Are we being renewed after the image of our creator? Yes. God's word says so. But godliness and holiness and transformation and becoming more like Jesus springs from our identity in Christ. It does not create that identity. Your holiness, your godliness... Your obedience does not create your identity. Your holiness, your identity, your obedience flows out of your identity in Christ. And so we are renewed as we know God and his word and his gospel more and more. This reinforces who we are at our core, that we are in Christ. This is our real identity. Our identity is who we really think we are, who we are at our core, who we think, feel, and believe that we are. And this is why we're seeing all that we're seeing in our world today about gender and sexuality. People are just looking for an identity. That's it. That's what lies underneath all the drama with Bud Light and Target. People just want an identity. They're trying to find it somewhere. They want to be somebody. They want to attach who they are to something. They want to be somebody and belong somewhere to some tribe or group where they will be accepted and affirmed. And this is the main moral issue of our day. Finding your identity is the moral absolute of our times. Finding your identity, who you are, is absolutely the moral absolute of our times. According to the world, this is the most important thing about you. Find who you are. Find an identity. Culture is telling people to just be who they are. Who do you feel that you are, regardless of what you really are, biologically? Who do you feel that you are? That's what culture is saying. That is the satanic agenda that is being pushed. You could be a biological male and feel that you are a girl, and our culture supports that. Culture says, be who you are, be who you think, who you feel you are. That is the gospel of our culture today. That is the good news of our culture today. Culture says, we've got gospel, we've got good news for you. Be who you are, and we will affirm and celebrate you, and we will viciously attack anyone who says otherwise. It's all about finding an identity. Now listen, we have to be ready as a church Because I have a hunch in about 10 years, people are going to be walking in our doors who have mutilated their bodies, trying to become some other gender, and they're going to be lost, they're going to be confused, they're going to be angry at their parents who let an 11-year-old kid transition into something else. They're going to be angry and wonder, why did this happen to me? 
And we need to be ready for them, to love them, to walk with them, to lead them to Jesus and say, I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry you were lied to. We will walk with you the rest of your life and see that you get renewed according to the image of your creator, renewed according to the gender of your creator. As God made you, we will walk with you through this process. We need to be ready. It's coming. It's already coming. People are regretting the decisions that they're making and changing their body to be who they feel they are. Be who you are. That's what culture says. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the Colossians. He's saying, be who you are. But Paul does not let the Colossians pick their own identity. He tells them who they are in Christ. He tells them what is true of them. He says, be who you are. Be Christians. Be the ones who are united to Christ. But Paul does not affirm their desires. As we saw last week, Paul caused them to to murder their sinful desires. We kill sin because we are in Christ. That's the old man. We want nothing to do with the old man. So we have to kill those desires. Now, it's often misunderstood, but Christians are not people who are just trying to be better people, better citizens, better spouses. No, Christians are people who have a new identity. We are people who are in Christ. And so identity is really what the heart of the gospel is all about. Identity is what the heart of the gospel is really all about. And here's the question, are you in Christ? That's the most important question that every human being must answer. Are you in Christ or are you still in Adam? Are you in him or are you in Adam? Well, the Colossians can answer that they are in Christ. They have a new identity, which is what Paul says next. Look at verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now this verse seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere and doesn't belong here, right? Why does Paul start talking about all these different people, Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free? Why does he come out of nowhere with that? Well, it's because Paul still has identity in mind here. This was an issue in the early church. There were major racial divides, major cultural divides at the church at this time. The barbarians and the Scythians, commentators say these were people who were uncouth, had no manners, rough around the edges, the kind of people that would just come into church and probably let out a really big burp and be like, what's the big deal? I just burp in the middle of preaching really loud. Right? They don't, they're, they're uncouth, they're uncivilized, they're rough around the edges, and they're coming into the church, and you have these prim and proper Jews who are now trusting in the Messiah Jesus, who've always you know, been squeaky clean, do everything by the book, and you've got these rowdy people coming in, and so it's causing tension. Why does that guy keep burping in church? I don't want to sit over here anymore, George. You know, We're going to go sit on the other side. Well, there's a barbarian over there, too. There's major racial division, cultural division, cultural clashes in the early church. So as people became Christians, this is some of the baggage and the sin that they brought in with them. It's part of the malice, slander, anger, and obscene talk that Paul mentioned last week that needed to be killed. 
You got people coming into the church and they're just cussing up a storm because they don't know any better. What do you do with that? So it appears that there were some people in the Colossian church who were placing their ethnic identity above others. In addition to that, we know the false teachers who were trying to creep their way into the church were basically trying to get everyone to become a Jew and come back under the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. So you had racial tension in the Colossian church. There were cultural differences that played out when they all came together. Prim and proper, squeaky clean, goody two-shoes, Jewish disciples are sitting next to rough around the edges, burp in church, uncouth, uncivilized people, and they're brought together as a church family. We know that Jewish people hated Gentile people. And I'm sure the Gentiles returned the favor. So you had a very real and tangible racial and cultural issues in the early church. In fact, that's how we got deacons in the church in the first place. It was a racial issue. In Acts chapter 6, Greek Christians were complaining that Jewish Christians were getting preferential treatment. So these Greek or Hellenistic Christians said that their widows were being neglected, and it was the Hebrew Jewish widows who were getting all the help in the early church. And so there there was this very real racial issue surrounding the treatment of widows in the early church, and that's why the apostles appointed deacons. So we actually got the office of deacon in the church because of a very real race issue between Greeks and Jews. And apparently it was an issue in Colossae. Paul tells the church that racial identities disappear in Christ. Racial identities disappear in Christ. Now, let me say something about this. Paul is not saying that your racial identity, your ethnicity, completely washes away when you come to Christ. If you are Italian or Jewish or Asian or African, fill in the blank, whatever it is, Paul is not saying that that all that goes away when you become a Christian. Those things don't disappear in Christ. God made you that way. You keep that aspect of your identity. Whatever your skin color is, whatever your DNA, your family history, your family tree, whatever, you keep all of that when you become a Christian. Why? Well, what do we read in Revelation chapter 5? We even sang it in a song this morning. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Notice it does not say you ransomed people for God from humanity. Kind of blank, just humanity. No, Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Why? Because all of them matter. Because God made all these people from all the nations. Each one unique, each language unique, each skin color unique, each culture unique. So we don't lose those things in Christ. We have them forever. I will be a white Caucasian jeans and t-shirt boot-wearing Caucasian for all eternity, okay? I will retain my Scottish and American Indian DNA and all the other strands of it that are there for eternity. Why? Because the blood of Jesus 
by the blood of Jesus, he redeemed me and a whole host of people with all kinds of DNA and skin color and languages. And we will keep them and we will be them for eternity. Listen, it's going to be the most diverse thing in the world. It's going to be so beautiful. Heaven's going to be so beautiful. Okay, I'm planning on, Jesus can override me, obviously. I'm planning on wearing jeans, boots, and t-shirts, all black, of course, for the rest of eternity. That's just me. And so picture me walking on some sidewalk with some lady in a Victorian dress that kind of bounces when she walks walking next to a guy from some African jungle tribe who just wears a loincloth and has a spear. This is what heaven is going to be like. All these different peoples and cultures and, and clothing and styles coming together to worship. Who can unite all of these kinds of people? Only Jesus can. And then you throw in dinosaurs too, which is going to be really great, right? Because Jesus is bringing dinosaurs back because they're part of creation. So imagine that, you know, you got, you know, just a jeans and t-shirt wearing guy, a Victorian lady, a, a guy from the tribe and jungle in Africa, and then you've got a pterodactyl. So there's heaven for you. Think it's going to be boring? What Paul is saying here is that now that we are in Christ No one people or group or race or ethnicity is any important than another. I am a white male in Christ. I'm not just a human being in Christ. I'm a white male in Christ with some Scottish and American Indian DNA and all kinds of other DNA. And now that I'm in Christ, Christ, I retain all of that DNA and I retain all of my characteristics of who God made me to be. And so do you. No one race, tribe, or people, or ethnicity is more important than another. That's what Paul is saying here. And so our union with Christ brings a unity in Christ that transcends all secondary disagreements. We're all part of the new man. The new man is made up of people from every nation, race, tribe, and tongue. The new man, the body of Christ, is not made up of plain vanilla people. No, there's so much diversity, and here's why. Because God wanted it that way. This was God's idea, to have all these different people together, make up his body, make up his church, make up the new man. And then Paul says, it's all about Jesus. Not us. He says Christ is in all. As Paul says in verse 11. But Christ isn't just in all. He is all, Paul says. He's everything. He's everything. Let me ask you, is he your everything? Are you resting in him as your everything? If you have Jesus, can you say, I have enough? No matter what's happening in my life, he's enough. He is all. He is everything. It's all about him. Everything was created by him and for him. And the Colossians needed this reminder. They are all in Christ. No matter the color of their skin or their cultural upbringing, where they are from, or even their theological circles. This is typically where Christians fight. There are people who will pick out a particular race and, you know, 
want to push back on them belonging. Those people are out there. But more often than not, we kind of think the people in our own theological circles are making up the new man. And anybody outside of my theological circle, I'm not sure if they're in Christ. That's what we typically deal with. What matters is if a person is in Christ. So there's no more secure and joyous identity than being in Christ. We just need help remembering. The Colossians needed this reminder. I assume you do too. Are you, where are you finding your identity? What is it? You're, you're blank. You're a person that likes to do this. You're known as this. You're known as that. You know, you're the Dallas Cowboys guy or whatever. You're the I love movies guy. You're the bacon is king guy. Whatever. Where are you finding your identity? Where online are you putting your identity and saying, this is me, that if it was taken away, you would be absolutely crushed if you lost it? Where are you placing your identity? There's no more secure and joyous one than being in Christ. You just need to be reminded of that. Jesus died so that you would feel secure in his love, so that you would rejoice in your new identity You were made for him, to know him and enjoy him forever. You've been undragoned like Eustace Scrub. Let's go back to Narnia as we close where Aslan the lion who represents Jesus has removed all the dragon scales from Eustace. He has been renewed as a young boy and he's continuing the conversation with his cousin cousin Edmund. And he says, after a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Dressed you with his paws? Edmund replies. Well, I don't exactly remember that bit, but he did somehow or other in new clothes, the same that I've got on now, as a matter of fact. And then suddenly I was back here, which is what makes me think it must have been a dream. No, it wasn't a dream, said Edmund. Well, why not? Well, there are the clothes, for one thing, and you have been, well, undragoned for another. Christian, you have been undragoned for another, capital A, for Christ, for Jesus, who is all and is in all. Rest in that, who you are in Christ, and be renewed. Jack Miller said, change comes as your conscience rests secure in what Christ has done and in the new identity that he has given you. That's what we need today, rest resting in what Jesus has done for us and the new identity that he has given to us as sons and daughters of the king. We just need reminders, don't we? There's no more secure and joyous identity than being in Christ. We just need help remembering. And that's what this table is for. That's what communion, it's what the Lord's Supper is for, to help us remember who we are in Christ and to make us feel secure and full of joy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you that you have cut us off from Adam, from the old man, By your spirit, we have been united to you through faith. 
And thank you that it is, though it is painful, you are still renewing us, transforming us. You're ripping off the scales that grow back on our hearts. It is painful, Lord. And there's a part of us that doesn't want to go through it, but we need it. We need to put to death these sins. So help us to do that. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Set our minds on you. Seek you, Lord, and then keep changing us, renewing us. May we rest in your love today. May we rest in your favor. May we be full of joy, we ask in your name. Amen.